recorded live from Crimson Cowl Comics and Collectibles in West Bend, Wisconsin. This is the Crimson Cowl Comic Club Podcast. In brightest day, I'm Anthony. And I'm David. And that's the show, everybody. Thank you for tuning in. Um, yeah, that, that's about it, right? Yeah, yeah. I think we covered enough. Uh, the theme song was really great. Got the intros. Here, and, here's the spoilers. Yes. Uh, we're the only two here. And now, end of spoilers. So, yes, uh, with us being the only two, uh, welcome to issue 15 of the Crimson Call Comic Book Club podcast. Um, due to one emergency and some other uh, things going on, we're just down to us two here. And we, well, and, and we would be talking spoilers on a specific issue, but we're going to hold off and talk about that in the following issue next week. Because uh, this week, um, you know, you read it. I read but it. I have not read it because, and this is where we talk pre-ordering. Um, Should have pre-ordered my, it, David. I did pre-order it. <laughs> My issue is that uh, other people didn't pre-order it, oh, and okay, I'm, okay. I'm a generous uh, comic book store owner, and I was willing to sacrifice my copy again uh, because we didn't uh, get enough for the rack and the number of people that have come in and asked for it, even though um, you know not uh, not really that many people uh, pre-ordered it. That comic, of course, is Avengers. Uh, Yep, Avengers No Surrender, issue number 680, 680 uh, part 6 of uh, 16. Um, yeah, so since you didn't have your copy there, didn't have a chance to read it, figured I'm the only one here who has read it, um, out of the two people at the table, and my copy actually I accidentally left at home, so I had digital copy redeemed from my phone, so rather than uh, pinching and zooming to read a comic on my phone to remember what happened... We figure we'll all meet back here when everybody's uh, here and uh, talk about 680 and 681 in a special double feature uh, Avengers event. And this way, 680 is not spoiled for me. And if yeah. you haven't read it yet, you've got an extra week to go out and read it. That's an amazing gift. And while David sacrificed his issue for a customer, he's also sacrificing what's left of his voice uh, for the remainder of this podcast here. So what we're going to do, we're going to talk non-spoilers uh, for the entire show. Um, I coincidentally had a stack of books that I read here when I come and visit the store uh, on Saturdays, which is open from uh, noon to 7. Club starts at 4. I come in around noon or so, and I bring uh, whatever books I haven't finished reading from Wednesday's pickup. And uh, I had seven books that I read here, and then I had a couple that I was going to talk about too. So we're going to present those all in a non-spoiler fashion. And uh, maybe this will get some good input and discussion from you. You know, if you haven't been reading these and you're kind of wondering what's going on, you know, this will be kind of a kind of like a, a Russian roulette of comic book reviews because not everything that I'm going to talk about is necessarily like these were my favorite books of the week. While I still enjoyed them, I was going to highlight, you know, sacrifice the, the amount of time as we normally would go around the table. Be like, all right, I'll pick two out of my 25 books that I read or something. We're not going to make it a podcast about books that you hate. Uh, no, no, pretty much no. Uh, that's going to be a are, whole. Are, are there books that you hate? I'm just. Um, there are books that maybe I won't enjoy. I'll, I'll say this. Here's a teaser. There's one book in this stack right here that is on the bottom, 
that I will, I don't say I hate, I'm just not understanding what the heck is going on, and I haven't been enjoying it on that level. Well, it's, it's not Dark Knight Metal, so... No, nope, no, nope. so <laughs> we'll, we'll see, then, if you can make it all the way through the podcast, you, dear listener, and you, David, with your voice, if you can, you know, make it through this entire podcast, you'll find out what book in the stack that, uh, I'm not sure what's going on. Or at least make it to the end of the non-spoiler section. Yes. So, uh, to kick off this uh, review here, um, I'm going to start it off with actually one of my favorite books, Miss Marvel number 27, uh, since I forgot to bring my reader copies here. Um, it's more so talking about where we're at 27 plus issues in. Miss Marvel is one of the titles that had a renumbering um, with the all new Marvel Now and Now Now, Dot Now, all that stuff. So while it's issue 27 of this run, it probably still has another, I think, 17 or 18 issues on top of that. They're nearing issue 50, so whatever the math comes out to there, we'll edit the math in in post there. Um, So yeah, with uh, Miss Marvel is Kamala Khan. She is um, a Muslim-American teenage girl who several years ago the Terrigen Mist uh, after an event in Marvel the Terrigen Mist uh, that was released across the world which uh, if it sweeps through your body if you have the inhuman gene it unlocks you it puts you into a cocoon unlocks whether or not you have powers sometimes nothing happens and sometimes everything happens whether it be Physically, emotionally, sometimes people can get an inhuman power through the Terrigen without uh, physical uh, uh, appearance changes, and some some people don't, where it's just like, okay, now they're just exactly how they were before, but now they have this hidden power. And Kamala Khan was one of those people uh, living in uh, Jersey City. Um, she got uh, hit by the mist, and when she woke up, she physically didn't really see anything uh, wrong with her. Until she started uh, realizing she had many different powers. And her powers are basically like a combination of a lot of different superheroes. So she has like stretchiness, like uh, Mr. Fantastic. That's the most noticeable one. Yeah, yeah. And she'll always embiggen one of her fists. Uh, You'll usually see her with a giant fist. Yeah, a lot of of artwork. You see the hands. She almost kind of reminds me of uh, classic Beast. Okay, yeah. yeah. Before he got all all furry where he had the the oversized feet and hands and a lot of times you'll see artwork with her where she's got these these big hands or she's wearing you know hulk fist or something you know the ones yeah yeah that's that's her uh, inhuman ability she's got hulk hands hulk hands well then she also has uh like pin particle type of powers where she can either shrink or uh grow up to giant miss marvel she doesn't use those too often um but every now and then because every time she does use it it always catches me off guard being like oh yeah she has that too and she's got she doesn't have flight but she's you know she uses her long stretchy legs to get through places pretty quick uh she doesn't have any like uh you know blast blaster powers or anything like that but it's got a mixture of a bunch of different things when it comes to uh miss marvel and her inhuman gene and her character had started off uh, being a fangirl who would write fan fiction about the Avengers on the internet because she lives in an Avengers world. As a teenage girl, she admired the superheroes and she would always write fan fiction about these characters and Captain Marvel being one of her favorite heroes. And then she uh, ended up donning the Miss Marvel uh, once Carol Danvers moved over to Captain Marvel. 
nobody was Miss Marvel, and she ended up uh, taking that mantle. And uh, Carol Danvers has been a, a mentor to her then. Um, at first, it was just she never knew who Carol Danver, Danvers was personally. But then, um, being now a superhero, uh, she then actually got to know her on a personal level and became an actual uh, mentor and someone she worked with in the past. Um, so Miss Marvel, over the last several years, teenage superhero, keeping her identity from all of her uh, family and friends, as you would imagine, comes to normal, normal Peter Parker type of type of characteristics when it comes to hiding her identity. Um, she had one uh, longtime best friend guy named Bruno, who he always had a crush on her, and it got to a moment like a year or two ago where uh, it was always the will they, won't they type of classic cliche, uh, you know, friend zone type of romance. And uh, she didn't feel the same, and a lot of it came with what kind of what Peter would always think too, you know, just putting people in danger if they knew, you know, this and that. But he was he was always helping her out with the, the superheroing and everything. When I hear the name Bruno, I think of a guy with Hulk hands. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, instead he was... Uh, Tall, skinny guy who worked at like the local Quickie Mart type of the Circle Q they called it. Um, so yeah, uh, after they kind of had this uh, separation due to the feelings and lack thereof, um, he actually moved to Wakanda, and he, uh, with him being very smart, and he would build some stuff for uh, for Kamala Khan, Miss Marvel, and he ended up. Uh, going to school there and working there and kind of has his own little life. And they did one issue or two where they kind of chimed in with him and it was just him in a solo issue in the Miss Marvel book. And it was pretty cool. And actually I wish they would have, you know, you know, revisit him more often. I'm sure he'll come back sooner or later. But, uh, so Kamala Khan, she had that one fallout with her friend. She's got another circle of friends. Um, but recently in leading up to issue 27 here, there's uh, another character where she went uh, back home to her origins and uh, and there was a Red Dagger, a superhero over there. And she interacted with Red Dagger. They had a mission together. She went back to America. Now Red Dagger shows up in her school, the, 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 his, you know, his, his normal identity as a student shows up and he's a transfer student and all that. So they had a couple adventures here in Jersey city together. And after red dagger quickly getting praise, cause he's pretty famous and, uh, gets a lot of praise. And, um, Miss Marvel starts to feel that maybe this isn't quite for her. You know, she got rushed into the superhero business. And so for the last like four or five issues or so, She's actually went missing, and as the reader, we don't quite know she was going to take a break, but we have no idea where she went to basically hide herself. Her parents are saying, you know, she's gone, you know, she needs time by herself. They're kind of covering up and this and that. So while Jersey City doesn't have a Miss Marvel fighting for them, all of her friends at school, um, coincidentally, who know that Miss Marvel hasn't been seen in a while, are now dressing up as Miss Marvel and running around the city and trying to, you know, help out. But with the Red Dagger there, one who actually has um, some experience in this, whereas they don't, um, they've kind of formed their own little unit there. And so that's basically your five-year catch-up on Miss Marvel. 
and leading up to issue 27 where she's still missing and um, they're just trying to stop one of her, actually not one of her, the first supervillain that she encountered called The Inventor. A guy who had uh, went around and uh, kidnapped a bunch of kids and he has a bunch of crazy devices, these giant frogs, giant turtles, giant chicken robot uh, vehicles and suits and things like that. And uh, while he was put to uh, rest storyline-wise for being imprisoned way back when the series started, he's now resurfaced when there isn't a real Kamala Khan Miss Marvel there to stop him. So now Red Dagger and her uh, friends from school are all trying to stop him. Red Dagger and the Marvels. It sounds like a comic book all on its own. Yeah, yeah. So that's, yeah, that's your catch-up there. So if you haven't uh, read, you know, it's kind of a jump-on point there to just... I just gave you everything you need to know. So rather than being, I need to read issue one to understand everything, you can jump in now and then also order up some trades here at Crimson Call and uh, catch up. But yeah, it's great. It's a great modern teenage superhero from the perspective uh, that we haven't seen before the representation coming from the Muslim American teenage girls. So. In fact, in fact, you like it so much, um, when you do work for us, we pay you in Miss Marvel Comics. So. That is 100% true. So I haven't had to buy this book for a while because it's, um, yeah, it's it's my paycheck. And he earns every page of it. That is right. All, all right. 22 pages plus ads. Um, so yeah, excellent book. And uh, whenever Miss Marvel comes out, it is one of the first books that I read. Um, speaking about a bunch of people putting on costumes to act as superheroes, Kick-Ass number one is back. So you see Kick-Ass number one on the shelf and you kind of wonder, is this a reprint? This is a series that started, uh, over 10 years ago now. It's hard to believe that, uh, cause I think that was like 2005, 2006. Uh, Mark Miller and John Romita Jr. Um, created this title about a kid named Dave who uh, basically would always be picked on and bullied, and he just he's he loves going to a comic book shop, and he lives in the world. Uh, he lives in a world where superheroes aren't real. He lives in a world where the comic books characters are exactly that in the books, and he loves reading about them. And he's just like, how come nobody was ever inspired by this to inspired by Batman to put on. And you, you maybe have some history. Well, well to... and, and there's some interesting background with, uh, with Kick-Ass when it came out, too. Um, so for those listeners who aren't aware, um, there's this uh, uh, large group of people out there in the world, mostly in America, known as real-life superheroes, who uh, put together their own superhero personas and go out and... Um, most have found that fighting crime doesn't really work best. So a lot of them do, uh, more like, um, you know, neighborhood patrols and some charity work and things like that. Um, I myself was a part of that, uh, group as was, uh, Kurt over there. Who's, uh, just shaking his head at me right now for some reason. I don't, I don't know. Um, but the, uh, the rumor when, when Kick-Ass actually first came out was that Mark Millar had, was inspired by these real-life superheroes okay. going up and doing it. Um, so I've never seen anything um, either way confirming this rumor or, or, or not. 
but uh, but the rumor that was really widespread was that he actually was inspired by real life superheroes to do this this comic, uh, kind of showing what it would be like if somebody actually did put on a costume and with no training or, or anything. No else supernatural out, powers. Or right. No. Uh, no terrorism mist. Uh, <laughs> um, went out and uh, did things, and I, I think he kind of portrays it as it's not you know, probably not the best idea to, to go out and fight crime. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so Kick-Ass became a pretty popular book. It's so popular that uh, the movie was written and filmed before the source material was even finished telling its story. Um, I remember getting it on board, uh, on begging board, if you will, getting on board with the story immediately because when I saw it in the, um, in the previews, I saw Kick-Ass, number one. I'm like, all right, the title won me over. It's obviously intriguing. It's eye-catching. And then the idea of it sounded pretty cool. A comic book fan wanted to become a superhero. So I'm like, all right, cool. Pick it up. Really liked it. Very ultra-violent. It's a very mature title for anyone listening. Um, not only, you know, the name has a slight vulgarity to it to a certain extent. If you're depends who you ask, I guess. Um, but then within the book, a very violent, bloody, a um, lot of language in it and everything. And... The kid of uh, Dave kind of went through life, and while he wanted to go kick some ass, the story is all about him basically getting his ass kicked. And that's how a lot of the issues would end, with him just getting brutally beaten and run over by cars and getting you know captured and just you know beaten to shreds until a very interesting superhero came along, a superhero team of Hit Girl and Big Daddy, uh, a father-daughter team. I think it was... Uh, Maybe like issue two or three. I don't think they were right there in the beginning, but it was maybe issue two or three that uh, they jumped into the story. Um, same sort of situation, but they're actually skilled at it. They've been doing it. They don't have any powers of any sort. But Hit Girl being uh, Mindy, she is uh, like a 10-year-old girl. She might even be younger in the comics, um, who very vulgar mouth and stuff, but she's very, uh, very good with the execution, very violent and stabby and all that kind of stuff. With, with execution? She's very good with execution? Yes, yes. And uh, literally. And, um, yeah, and Big Daddy, um, you know, training her and stuff. And so the series went through three book installments for Kick-Ass, the title. Um, in between book two and three, they had a Hit Girl miniseries. That kind of filled in, you know, because she was basically was the breakout character. What everyone really loved about the Kick-Ass book was mostly Hit Girl. She was a big success. And so they came out essentially with four volumes of the book. Two movies came out um, with some success. They weren't failures, but the second time um, it didn't really do that much to, for them to get around to do a third one to kind of complete the comic book story. Um, they have shared interest talking about they would want to do it, and I'm never going to rule it out. Um, yeah, yeah. It's interesting that you see uh, the the comics at that point being so inspirational to uh, as a property to get picked up as a movie once again before the series even finished gets you know getting released. So. I was a big fan, both comics and the movies, action figures of the like, everything about Kick-Ass, I absolutely enjoyed. So now, uh, 10 years plus after the series had started, the series ended uh, uh, like five years ago or so, maybe even more, um, 
they're doing a new Kick-Ass number one in which the original creator team, Mark Miller and John Romina Jr., have returned to the character, to the world of Kick-Ass. But it is not the character of Dave. What was most exciting about this book is that I was going to buy it no matter what because of the creators, because of the title. I was already sold. And I didn't read what this book was going to be about. I did know that it was a different person under the mask. And so... I mean, by this time, if you're a fan of Kick-Ass and whatever, you may have uh, already picked it up and read it. This is non-spoiler, but I'm going to say a little more than what the premise would sell you on. So if you didn't buy, if you didn't buy it based off of the previews, based off of flipping through it at a comic book shop, here's just a little bit of non-spoilers just to kind of push you, being like, here's what the character is. So we're following um, a black lady who was in the war. She fought for Afghanistan, and you see uh, her history of fighting in the war and how tough she is and everything, and she comes back to the world she left before she went out to war, and you see her as her husband was taking care of the many children that they had. She was talking about the excitement of going back to her life and her husband because here she was doing all the work and... uh, she was like, you know what, I want to go back to school, and now it's time for my husband to go out and work and, you know, and bring in the money and stuff like that. That's your setup for the story. She eventually dons the mask as part of the premise of Kick-Ass for certain reasons that are, is why you pick up the book. I don't want to say that. It's pretty, it was a, th- this book you could pick up without it serves as a perfect kick-ass number one. So I think instead of calling it kick-ass book four, number one, or kick-ass number 42 or something, wherever they would have left off, it did a perfect job of grabbing anybody's attention now that had no idea of this title, never read a single kick-ass book. They could pick it up now, and it would feel just as if it was a brand-new story. Um, I'm very curious as a big fan of the series to see how it'll be rooted in if we're going to see some of the players that still exist within the book or not. Um, but yeah, this is very much its own. And that's what I was going to ask was, you know, do they do they keep it just centered on these new characters or, you know, do they bring anything from the old kick-ass as of right, into the new kick-ass? As of right now, and uh, once again, not spoiler, it only spoils the cover. Um, is that you have the suit is back in play because, once again, they live in a world where they know that this kick-ass movement was out there, where they knew about this kid that went out and inspired a lot of other superhero or, you know, normal people, quote-unquote, who then wanted to be superheroes as well and help fight crime and help people and everything like that. So, so far, that's the only ingredient that ties into the other thing, which makes it more exciting to see how, if that's going to develop a little more, but this solely exists as a great jump on point, a brand new story, and a very emotional one for the main character, which I think her name is Patience Lee. I think that was yes. her name. Okay. Um, yeah, at this point, there's enough out there. I've, I've read a little bit about it, so I know uh, some very basic uh, things about the book, about the new character. Um, but yeah, not. I, I was never, uh, I never had read the originals, so um, even if I were to pick this one up, I would be going into it um, Yeah, that would be somewhat even. blind. Yeah, just as long as you know basically that premise of, yep, 
inspired by the kid who wanted to be a superhero and got his ass kicked trying to be one. Um, so yeah, and all the other elements that help that lead to that suit is why you pick up the book because it was a yeah, it was a pretty emotional story for never meeting this character prior to this uh, first issue here. Um, you're immediately uh, sympathizing with her and knowing where she's coming from when she returns to a world that she left behind to go fight in a war to protect that world. So yeah, it's uh, definitely an awesome book, and uh, I had mentioned the character of Hit Girl. Well, next week, this coming Wednesday here at uh, comic book stores everywhere, or most importantly, at the Crimson Co. here in West Bend, um, Hit Girl number one returns to the shelves. And just like the kick-ass book, I didn't read into what it was going to be about, where, you know, once again, it still leaves it... I still like leaving on non-spoilers for even the books that wrapped up years ago. So I don't know where it's picking up, if it's going to have the same formula. But uh, Mark Miller has returned for this one as well. But he's going to do an interesting thing. I don't know if he's doing this for the kick-ass model as well. But for Hit Girl, he's going to do a couple different arcs. I think he's doing a five-issue arc to launch it back into the world. And what he's going to do for the first time is hand his character over to other writers and artists that he's handpicked to around the business to carry on these characters. Mark Miller, who's created Miller World, he uh, all these titles that he creates, he's the writer on, and he's always been the writer on. And uh, with the exception of the Kingsman um, uh, comic that's out there right now, I forget the subtitle, The Red Circle, I think it is, which was, you know, just kind of celebrate the movie coming back. He actually handed that off to a different writer to create new material that, you know, because it's the Kingsman second movie, there was no second book in the series. The movie was so popular that they're like, yeah, we're making another movie, but we're not doing another book. But then they end up doing this other little in-between, you know, in-between the both movies continuity thing. So so Mark Miller is handing off uh, uh, Hit Girl after he does the initial arc here. And what got my attention is that he hands it off to another one of my favorite creators, not only over in comic books, but also in film. But Kevin Smith will be writing Hit Girl. Kevin Smith had talked about Mark Miller just contacting him saying, hey, what would you like to write Hit Girl? And he's like, you know, <laughs> the day, you know, day before he was in a, living in a world where he was never going to get asked to write Hit Girl. And now the creator is saying, hey, I want you to write her first after me, you know, after this new arc. And it's a little scary just because Kevin Smith does have a little bit of a reputation of uh, not putting things out in a timely manner yeah. and sometimes not finishing projects that he started. Yeah, I think we're still waiting on, like, issues, like something of a Spider-Man Black Cat from uh, over 10 years ago. Yeah, I think there's some Batman thing out there, too, that yeah. never got finished. There's a third book of a Batman series that apparently there's several issues that's been drawn. His artist, uh, Walt Flanagan, longtime buddy, owner of the Secret Stash over in New Jersey. So if you don't get your comics at Crimson Cull and you live in New Jersey, then maybe go there. Or a call, and then you know. Uh, but anyways, uh, the yeah, you'll see him in his movies, the Star of Comic Book Men, all that stuff. Well, he's also a fantastic artist. They've worked on other books in the past, but yeah, the Batman books, which have been on the New York Times bestseller list, they've had this third book sitting there for a long time. But with Kevin Smith and his uh, movies and TV projects and his podcast and his reputation, like he said, of not you know 
getting the scripts out there. He's got a legendary run on uh, Daredevil with Joe Casada as well. Um, but when they're about to do this other Batman book um, on Comic Book Men, they pitched a series to Dynamite, the Comic Book Men character, Brian Johnson and uh, and Walt Flanagan, um, who have worked in comics together as well. They pitched an uh, idea of Cryptozoic Man, and they created an own, their own comic over at Dynamite. So then Walt was doing that, and then Kevin's like, well, you're doing that, so I'll go do my other thing. And so one of the reasons that's been delaying the Batman book is that um, they're all just constantly doing stuff. And obviously, once again, you know, Kevin has that, you know, even if he is only doing that, he still has that reputation but uh, there's been several issues that have been drawn. I think they're waiting to do like two more or so. And they've gotten it from the DC uh, publishers where they said, you know, like, yeah, whenever you have it, it's basically the last thing hanging in the pre-52 universe because all of a sudden the new 52 happened and then they're just like, all right, do our books even exist anymore? Like, are we even getting to finish this? And they told them like, well, I guess you're the last book that actually will come out. And now we're beyond the 52 universe. And I, I mean, granted, when it comes to Batman, Batman was probably about the least changed thing in the new 52. So um, I'm, not, I'm not sure how much it would be affected. Yeah. And uh, so anyways, um, if we cycle all the way back to that huge tangent, we're back to Hit Girl, which comes out this coming Wednesday. Um, a series that I was excited to pick up. I think I... I pre-ordered a couple covers on that one just because uh, Hit Girl is one of my favorite. I've actually met the actress who portrayed her, Chloe Grace Moretz. Um, uh, she's fantastic, and uh, I got to meet her and have her sign one of my Hit Girl uh, or my kick-ass hardcovers and stuff like that. Um, so, yeah, I'm a big fan of the series. I'm excited for the, the new series of Hit Girl kicking off, especially when Kevin Smith gets around to it in a couple years. Um <laughs> But no, his, you know, his arc, you know, hopefully it will be by the end of the year that it would start naturally, whether or not that'll happen. Even Hit Girl itself was honestly supposed to start last year. So Mark Miller had announced that it was going to be like January of 2017 that this book was going to come out, and then no news has happened. And now it's literally coming out because people have read it, you know, preview copies and stuff like that, so... Yeah. Well, I mean, if he's got a while, so maybe Kevin Smith can get started on it now. Yeah, yeah. And, and yeah, yeah, and that might be part of it too. So, um, uh, so yeah, that's coming out. So if you're a fan of uh, Kick-Ass and Hit-Girl, then this is the perfect time to get some more comics. If you haven't read those but only heard about them, much like Kick-Ass, it might be a good jump-on point for Hit-Girl as well. Mark Miller's writing it, and I'm curious. I'll be reporting back next week. To say, you know, my thoughts to see if it's on the buy pile, buy pile or not. Um, speaking of the buy pile, a couple other books that I liked. Old Man Logan, number 35, Moon Over Madripoor. Um, over the last... Okay, I'm going to do the quick history of Old Man Logan. A storyline that, speaking of Mark Miller, he did it once again over 10 years ago, inspired the Logan film. We talk about this here a couple times on the podcast. But if you don't know what Old Man Logan is, a character in an alternate future, 50 years in the future, where all the superheroes had died and he stopped popping his claws and he went to create a family, a farm life, and then he ended up working, uh, owning, you know, paying rent to the Hulk gang. And we talked about these very interesting. Yeah, I, I, Hulk actually, I feel like we had just discussed yeah, this like 
you know, yeah, it wasn't a couple too, weeks ago. Yeah, a couple issues back on the podcast. But anyways, um, so because of Secret Wars, um, Old Man Logan, since it was very popular, they took that idea and brought him into a present world where the present Wolverine has been dead for several years. Of course, now Wolverine's uh, trekking through the last couple pages of a lot of different Marvel books right now. We're gearing up for The Hunt for Wolverine, which is currently in the previews coming out in April. So The Hunt for Wolverine, number one, um, from the writer that brought you The Death of Wolverine many years ago now, like five years ago. Um, So yeah, Old Man Logan is trying to adjust living in a present world where his present self has been deceased. And now... um, uh, a former love of his, who was also deceased, uh, Mariko, Mariko, I forget how they said it in the movie. Uh, I believe it's Mariko. Mariko. Um, a character, uh, a former lover of Logan, Wolverine, um, was brought back to life several issues ago. Not like old lady Mariko or anything. No, not, not the old not version. Not, not yet, not yet. But she was brought back as the Red Samurai, so... Um, she was brought back by Gorgon, not Gorgon from the Inhumans. Not Inhumans. Yeah, but okay. apparently another, and he looks like a, a Ryu Street Fighter type of guy. Okay. Um, I, I haven't read much of him, but when they start throwing around Gorgon, I'm like, like, well, you know, why is he in here and blah, blah, blah. But anyways, uh, Mariko was in this, uh, brought back as a Red Samurai, and she was like brainwashed to hunt down Wolverine. Until, you know, he talked some sense into her, they did some stuff. This all happened issues ago. So we're left in a moment right now where um, Mariko and Logan, old man Logan, have been reunited. And their current mission is tracking down Regenix, which is uh, a thing, uh, a drug that's been going around on the streets. It allows people to heal quick. You know, it's, it's almost like a Wolverine type of power. Wolverine you know? in a bottle. That's basically what it is. Um, it's like five hour energy. Um, but yeah, they get their, uh, they, you know, can heal their wounds and it's a drug that's being passed around and it's causing, you know, some problems obviously. So there, this is the final chapter of that story of them trying to track down the remaining, uh, Regenix that's out there. Um, but it's, it's been, it's, I've adored it because of every time old man Logan is interacting with somebody of his past, you know, whether it be a young Jean Grey, who she had her own problems being, you know, from the past into her future, which is our present in a world where her present self was dead at the time. Not right now because she's back. X-Men Red, Phoenix Resurrection. We talked about it. So... Whenever you're talking about X-Men characters, it usually gets confusing like that because it's like, oh, they're from this timeline, caught in... Yeah. Uh, and there's a lot of that because you got the uh, the time-displaced young original X-Men. You've got uh, the, the James Hudson uh, son of Wolverine from the Ultimate Universe yeah. in, in there. You've got yeah, old man Logan. you got the good old original uh, Wolverine back. Um, you got the all new Wolverine, and then she's got a clone of herself too, right? You know, honey the Badger, all new, all new Wolverine. <laughs> There's a lot to keep up with, and it may sound confusing um, to anybody wanting to jump onto things. But uh, if you're listening, and if you ever like wanted to catch up on anything on any of these titles, I read quite a bit of comics. Most of them being Marvel. I read a lot more DC in the last year and a half or so. Read a good chunk of Independence as well. But I, I 
I've been reading a lot of Marvel stuff. So if you're ever questioning, you know, if you ever see me on the couch, which is usually my my Sheldon spot yeah. on the couch here at Crimson on Wednesdays and Saturdays, you'll find me there. Yeah, your name's on the back of the chair. You can't see it. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but yeah, if you ever have any question about any of these things, uh, there's a good chance I know what's going on and can kind of maybe catch you up to the if you want to just start digging in. Um, but yeah, Old Man Logan, this uh, is the final chapter of this story. The title's still going on. It'll be curious to see what happens to Old Man Logan with this hunt for Wolverine, or yeah, hunt for Wolverine and when all that stuff's happening in April and May. And um, to see what will, if they're going to find, you know, a way to just end this to not make it more confusing by having. I'm curious to see if they're going to. Yeah, well, interact um, in a, original Wolverine is going to be tied up in. The uh, the Infinity Stone stories yeah, countdown, right whatever now. they're calling that. Um, so so I think he's going to be tied up for a little bit there, but yeah, once that's all resolved, then um, you know, then we're going to have to see. Okay, what are they going to do with Wolverine? He's probably going to be put on, you know, at least one of the many X Men books, maybe an Avengers team, uh, the Fantastic Four, you know, whatever uh, they put Wolverine into. Uh, just like old times, um, but yeah, once they do that, you know, then what will they do with the old man Logan version, or maybe just having them each around is, uh, you know, just their way of being able to explain why Wolverine can be on every team in yeah, the Marvel yeah. universe. Yeah, there you go. Um, to kind of go back and forth with some publishers here because I got a mixture of Marvel and DC and I think one indie book in here. All my other indie books I read uh, in the days leading up to this here. But Supergirl number 18 is out. Um, Supergirl has been dealing with uh, living in... Um, I'm just trying to think of the city name right now. I was just reading Flash too, so... A national city. National city. Yep. Central city for Flash, national city for... Her. So national city... Um, uh, several issues ago, they saw the cyborg Superman, like her dad, like recreated, who came in and like thought that, you know, uh, wanted to rescue her, like destroy Earth and all this stuff and bring her, uh, bring her back home. And yeah, because you do kind of have to specify when you're mentioning cyborg Superman because there are yeah. two cyborg supermen out yeah, there. Yeah, so this is the, um, Zorel or what's you're you're the um yeah I think um yeah I'm trying to, he's not in this current yeah, issue so I'm trying to remember me, but, but uh, yeah there's a lot of just like the Wolverine talk. yeah it is something like Zorel or something like yeah that. yeah but because uh, her name is Kara Zorel right uh, normally I just know yeah. this immediately but I think we're thinking about it too hard right well you know I Kara Zorel. Yeah, that's on Blame right. it on those <laughs> memories having gone with my voice. Yep, yep. But anyways, uh, there were some events that happened a while back where um, where National City had witnessed that connection between this cyborg Superman and their hero, Supergirl. And uh, they there was some information leaked out that they were related and that she was keeping him alive after she had publicly defeated him they've been like keeping him in stasis and trying to get information trying to fix him heal him you know she's not just gonna murder him completely you know and uh so once national city had found out that she's been keeping that secret from everyone 
uh, past couple issues, they've treated her as the enemy and they don't trust Supergirl anymore. And there's this character of Bones that I'm trying to remember now. I follow 70 comic book titles uh, monthly, so I'm trying to remember some of these names and everything like that. But um, So anyways, Supergirl has been dealing with a bunch of these uh, super-powered villains that have been sent her way just to keep trying to take her down. And you do have some rallying, rallying cries from the national city of uh, liking that Supergirl's being taken to task, you know, and... Um, but now, recently, this other uh, villain kind of popped up at the uh, the National City Tech uh, Solstice semi-formal, um, uh, where Kara was showing up, and uh, she went to this dance without a date. She's been uh, this this guy Ben, who she's been uh, study partners with at this uh, advanced uh, this school that they're very this National City Tech, um, very uh, advanced placement schooling for them. And uh, her and Ben have kind of had that will-they-won't-they they type of thing. And um, and they went there separate from each other. Kara actually had set up Ben with a different friend, thinking, you know, that's going to be better for him while she, you know, regrets it and all that stuff. But she's trying to be the bigger person and, you know, doesn't want to rope him into the into the life of uh, what Supergirl, you know, what what exists within Supergirl's life. Um, so yeah, their, uh, their little winter dance type of thing pretty much got, uh, trashed by this, uh, villain whose name I forget here. Here we go. Right in the beginning. My name is Kara Zorel, Um, last daughter of Krypton. So yeah, Zorel. Yeah. Um, so yeah, anyways, uh, this has been dealing with this fallout. Once again, it's just this constant battle of her trying to make a good name for herself and uh, still fighting for the city where the the police and the DEO, which is being taken over by this Bones guy, they're all um, still not trusting her. And Supergirl keeps standing for, for her and for her uh, city and for good and says, you know, you can keep pointing guns in my face, but uh, that's not going to scare me away. And she keeps trying to prove that, you know, she is the hero that the, the city deserves and all that kind of fun stuff. But yeah, but it's been a, a pretty entertaining story. I came into Supergirl thanks to the television show where I hadn't read much Supergirl in the past, uh, if anything. Um, but this DC Rebirth um, was a great jump on point because I'm like, hey, I love the show. They take elements from the show. They take elements from the comics and kind of rebirthed this current Supergirl. And uh, it's been pretty easy for me to jump on and... Uh, yeah, I've been loving it. So, eighteen months in, I'm still buying it. So, so, so the you know fans who haven't read the comic that are fans of the Arrowverse CW show, yes. Um, so you know they know that they shouldn't come in expecting her to be in some will they won't they relationship with Jimmy Olsen or yeah, Ron yeah. L or something like that. It's uh, um, they've got. Uh, a whole different another cast, cast of will they won't they type yep. characters yeah so yeah there are some recognizable names and stuff like that some of the cast has kind of shifted around but uh you know just like any you know tv or film to comic adaptation you know you go into the book you're going to find things that are different and uh but this does its best job of bringing in that tv audience uh who maybe never picked up comic books or picked up supergirl before um and allows them to kind of jump into the stories of Kara.
Yeah, I think uh, Supergirl's done that. The Flash, um, at least for a while, they were doing a pretty good job of uh, having some at least recognizable aspects um, in the comics that fans of the show would notice. Um, even though they, they didn't run parallel to each other and there were a lot of differences, um, they, they threw in some some things that were the same so that uh, fans of the show would pick up the comic and recognize some of these things. So yeah, they've done a good job over there. And um, you know, DC Rebirth, before that happened, I can't even think what book I was... I don't even think there was a single DC book I was subscribing to monthly. I was in and out of Batman during the New 52 and beforehand uh, was with Detective Comics. Um, you know, picked up, you know, there wasn't a Swamp Thing run for quite a while. Like, I wasn't reading next to anything when it comes to DC. And DC Rebirth had uh, got me to add a ton of titles, including Flash, Supergirl, thanks to the shows, Detective Comics. I read the events, uh, picking up Mr. Miracle. Um, some of the young animal stuff I dipped my toes into. About to jump on to action <laughs> comics, super. Yeah, young. yeah. Thanks to Brian Bendis and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah. I mean, I've I've been trying for you know what well over a year now, but uh, you know he he comes in as a writer and suddenly you're all on board. Exactly. Yeah, that's all I need is. <laughs> um, see Brian Michael Bendis. Me and him when I met him at a con uh, like 12, 14 years ago or so. We bonded over our love of the television show Gilmore Girls. So, have you seen Gilmore Girls and do you love it? I'm wondering, see, because yeah, he uh, holds that over you. Yeah, well, that would, that would be a no and a no. <laughs> see, there we go. So, Brian Bendis. I've never seen an episode of it. It's good stuff, actually. And the guy that plays Rocket Raccoon, not Bradley Cooper, but the guy that acts and plays Craiglin, he's one of the uh, ongoing characters in that show. That's what he's known for. Uh, but anyways, this ain't the Gilmore Girls podcast that records in this room right after this one, uh, starring me and just Brian Bendis, I guess. You'll be Skyping in. We'll be talking about you know, all the stuff. I did tell him, because at that point, it was before the Netflix, uh, um, they made the four little episodic movies that came out uh, recently uh, to pick up where the show ended. Um, back when Buffy started to uh, pave the way for other shows getting... Um, television you know seasons in canon i had told him i'm like if they asked you to write a gilmore girls season eight comic book would you he's like in a heartbeat so i'm like all right cool but uh so i'm still waiting for that maybe he can work the the gilmore girls star stars hollow characters into this new imprint that he's doing but so i have some tweets to write later to get that business and um, anyways, uh, Deadpool number 294, um, the Despicable Deadpool is the full title actually. Um, this run, uh, Jerry Duggan, uh, has started, you know, back in like 2012. So this is the continuation of that. They did have a legacy renumbering. Um, yeah, even with that numbering, now there's a lot of books out there that are, you know, going on like 700, 800. 1,000, um, but e even Deadpool going close to 300 actually seems like a lot for Deadpool. Yeah, and I think that was one of those where, because he's had so many different types of series, so it's not like they've, you know, wrapped up every single Superman story to get to action 1,000. They just wrapped up that single book's issues, whereas Deadpool probably was, hey, here's this run of Deadpool, that run of Deadpool, and yeah. 
But obviously, in the last 10 years, he's had so many comics that his numbers started adding up a lot quicker than probably any other titles because, you know, and this is even before the movie was, you know, successful. Since then, he's just had so many things. But, but yeah, so what's been going on, there's the villain Madcap um, who had uh, poisoned the family of Wade Wilson and, and... in order to get revenge on him, the character of Strife, who is what the... Strife yeah. is the clone of Cable. Yeah. Um, you know, originally that wasn't revealed, and some people thought that Strife was the original and Cable was the clone, but then it was revealed that um, Strife was actually the clone, that they cloned Cable's body <laughs> just in case they weren't able to cure the techno-organic virus. Uh, when he was sent into the future. Um, but yeah, it's like the clone saga before Spider-Man did it. Okay. And without knowing... Or, any, or around that time, anyways. And without knowing any of that, because I didn't, I easily just bought it just because, yeah, you read comics and you're like, yeah, you you accept things, being like, yeah, okay, I guess that's a thing, you know, whether you've read them or not. Then in each Deadpool opening, he always has a fun little recap page where this... Uh, uh, Lil Deadpool always kind of catches people up in a very comedic way. So to dive into what this uh, book is about, I'm just going to read what he says here. Deadpool here, Merc, Mouth, etc. You guys know what a bucket list is, right? No, I mean, aside from the 2007 Nicholas Freeman film Roger Ebert called Embarrassing. That's right. I'm ticking off the boxes of my to-do list in case anything bucket-related happens. So... There uh, there was this bright yellow jerk, Madcap, who poisoned my family. I had to promise to murder folks for this evil teeth-gritting guy, Strife, in order to save them. So he basically, Strife gave him a hit list. Strife saved his family. Strife gave Deadpool a hit list, being like, here, kill these people for me. And now he's been going around with an actual to-do list to kill people. And he continues, so that put two more things on my list. Kill some poor saps who probably don't deserve it and shove my beep, 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 beep up madcaps, beep, beep, beep until he beep, beep, beeps. Um, Yeah. Uh, It's funny, we were just talking about explicit uh, warning labels and stuff for the podcast. Yeah, we were joking about having a podcast (laughs) full of beeps and... uh... Now it's happened. Leave it to Deadpool. But anyways, so that's what the story is. It's him going around... um, and now he re, uh, re he actually comes in contact again with Madcap, the guy who started this all. So it's an issue of basically Madcap v Deadpool, um, fight to the finish as he can just, you know, while he still has this hit list and everything. And Deadpool, who's a wanted man himself for uh, killing Coulson back into the secret. Uh, back in the secret empire. Secret empire. Thing when, yep. when Deadpool... Uh, misguidedly believed that Steve Rogers was, you know, the yeah, man. Because he didn't know anything about the Hydra thing, but he's like, well, if Captain America is telling me that, you know, Coulson has to be killed because of so-and-so uh, reasons, Deadpool didn't question it and then later found out that, you know, what he was answering for. And now now that's, that's a whole other story that's going on in Deadpool's book here. But uh, as you imagine, normal fun, you know, hilarity, action, all the, you know, all the stuff you'd expect in the Deadpool book. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, if you have been following the Madcap story, this is an important issue in that entire 
uh, encounter with that character. So okay, well, while we're on the subject of Deadpool, um, when we uh, get the comics on the rack, you get the regular uh, cover. Mm. But for as long as um, you've been ordering this from us, you've requested a variant. Yes. Um, what's what's the story with that variant? This is one of the coolest. Only Deadpool can something like this happen. So what David's referring to is uh, something they call the Secret Comics Variant. When I saw that pop up um, prior to your store existing, I was getting my comics through an online source, and I saw the Secret Comics Variant pop up on the order list, and I could weekly pick my comics, throw them to the basket, whatever. And I'm like, hmm, what's this? I had been reading Deadpool for quite a while at that point. And uh, so I looked into it. And what it is, each individual cover of the Deadpool comic, if you buy the Secret Comic variant, has the same story inside as the, the main story of the regular cover. But there's a comic page of on each cover. Meaning, when you assemble 22 covers, consecutive issues... It's a secret comic that you can read from cover to cover, month to month. How you know this one comes out twice a month, because um, they you know can get away with Deadpool money. You know people are going to buy it then. Um, so I let twenty two issues of the secret comic variant pile up, where I just ignored the cover. I just read the story in the inside, so I can keep following the ongoing main story. And so I took all my covers. I put them in a giant 22-pile comic book stack and read one cover at a time, and it told a story in which the character that you see on this one, uh, for issue number 294 of the Secret Comic variant, the UPC code of the comic book uh, came to life. It has sentience. Deadpool was sucked into the barcode of the actual cover of the comic book. There was one issue, it was like maybe like five or six issues into the secret variant covers, where Deadpool, it was it was drawn so perfectly. Deadpool was trapped inside the UPC code of his very own comic book, and the viewpoint was him seeing people at the comic book shop, at the comic book racks and stuff, because he's inside his own cover. It's one of the most, like like I said, it's the only, Deadpool's the only character that can get away with doing that. So when they did the 22 variants, read them all, uh, there was still a to be continued on there. So they did another cycle of more variant covers. So I'm like, all right, I'm going to carry on with it. So each month when I get it, I now that they renumbered it, I don't know where the math is. So I keep looking right in the bottom corner where it says to be continued on the next exciting variant cover. So I haven't read the second story arc of the cover comic. So yeah, if you buy Deadpool and you, and you pre-order the variant cover, because while well, you guys get the normal variants, uh, or the normal cover, um, if you want these, you can pre-order the variant covers. And essentially, you're get, after 22 comics, after 11 months, if the schedule's uh, on pace, you get a free comic book that exists on the cover of all those comic books you bought prior. That's a gimmick that's amazing. I laid them all out for a grand picture when I had them, and it was just a, it was amazing. So I have yet to figure out how to, um, I want to get like some sort of like easel and just like have them sitting there and not bind them, but just have them 
Yeah, where you can just flip. And, and and you're keeping them attached to the comic. Yeah, yeah, I haven't ripped in off. In front of Kurt and tearing the page off. Honestly, I haven't thought about that. Them and together. I, I might bring in those 22 plus another you know dozen or so and just sit there and just rip them all off in front of Kurt. So. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's an interesting gimmick that's basically sold me being like, all right, I have to keep getting Deadpool. While the story's been good on the inside... But I've uh, been very eager on a collectability line. I want to get them all so I can go ahead and read. Uh, for example, since I haven't been reading the current story arc of the variant uh, Seeker comic, it shows um, the UPC code, which this is his sentient form after he breaks out from the comic page. Um, he's dancing with the bottom half of a, a ghost body, which... If it relates to this Deadpool comic, there is the dead presidents that Deadpool was dealing with in the beginning of this creator's run back in 2012. So that might be the bottom half of like, you know, like Jefferson or something like that. Um, yeah, some characters I'm not familiar with, but you see uh, Dormammu uh, on there. Um, Deadpool, is he maybe not in it at the moment or maybe he's... Embodied. I don't know what's going on. Yeah, I guess you have to <laughs> jump back yep. and uh, and read them in a So I'm excited. Normally I ignore the covers, but I'm excited to jump into that when they wrap up this current secret cover story. Uh, Batman Detective Comics number nine seventy four came out. One of my favorite characters, Clayface. Uh, since this book comes out twice a month, um, I'm going to be you know touching on things that happened in nine seventy three. So. Um, Batman Detective, him with his uh, weird team-up of uh, people, including the weirdest member being Clayface, who has recently been turned into a giant Clayface kaiju that was uh, going through Gotham City. And we've talked about the storyline uh, not too long ago where uh, we see these fu- you know, the future version of what? The future Batman, who is what? Dick- Tim, Tim Drake. Tim Drake, Batman, came in talking to the younger Tim Drake and saying, this is what you're going to become. And then there's the idea that um, Kate um, Kate Kane is going to be creating a rift in the team. And- yeah, somehow she'll be responsible for some some bad things happening in the, the future. Yeah, so they've been talking about that story over the last uh, couple months or so. Well, at the end of the previous issue that I'm going to talk about here... 973 um we had a secret weapon a rifle that kate kane was given to by her father who's been running his own little group that's been trying to i think it's the colony if i'm not mistaken then in the name um has been trying to recruit his daughter into the team and he gifted her with this rifle that apparently is supposed to kill clayface and I don't remember all the science of it. My memory doesn't pick up that kind of stuff. But just know that there was a rifle given to the hands of Batwoman. She was in contact with this kaiju who's destroying Gotham City. She's like, I am holding the weapon that can stop this. And at the end of issue 973, she put a bullet through Clayface's head, who was in the transformation period, through Basil Carlo, and basically was left. As you see on the cover here, he's a melting uh, piece of mess in the arms of Batman. He's uh, more like a mud puddle than yeah. Clayface. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, 
it was a pretty huge, it's, a, it's an emotional issue for this here, as you saw Cassandra Kane, but C-A-I-N, because you get Kate Kane, I think that's what it is. Kate okay. Kane is with a K. Right, and the, the other. Cassandra. Cassandra. Used to be like Batgirl a long time ago, and um, she she was one of the Batgirls. Yeah. You know, while Barbara Gordon wasn't Batgirl. And she's now orphan. Yeah. And I always remember that she's orphan because she's wearing like a black, like Black Panther type of suit. So I always remember Orphan Black. Okay. As my, as my like, okay, she orphaned because spoiler is Stephanie Brown. The former bad girl as well. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, so <laughs> she, so she was, um, bad girl before spoiler became bad girl. And even as bad girl, she had like the full face mask, you know, covered her mouth and everything. So kind of that Black Panther look. So yeah. Um. So that that's where we're caught up. Obviously, with last issue's big events, it's one hundred percent dealt with in this issue. And um, the idea that they they do know that you know Kate did this, but she's like, well, I'm saving the city and I'm killing this villain. And there might be some team members on Batman's little uh, his own little Batman Justice League team here, if you will, um, that may disagree with her actions. And that's what this issue deals with. Yeah, because um, since Rebirth, Detective Comics has been treated almost like a like a team book, um, right? Where it's it's not yeah, just yeah. Batman. It's it's Batman. Um, got your Tim, Tim Drake, Drake, Stephanie Brown, right. who's been on and off in the team so far. You got your Clayface, got your Spoiler, yes. and you had your Batwoman. Batwoman, yeah. Um, and then they've had some other members on the side. Your what, Azrael and your Batwing? Um, they've been like. Not like kind of members, but like helping along at the same time and doing a bunch of stuff. So, but yeah. So that, so that's what Detective Comics has been, and of course, um, with the recent storylines with that future Tim Drake coming in and, and you know, um, making kind of a mess of things. Um, they've kind of you, you see this team kind of fracturing a little bit. So yeah, a lot of Tim Drake stuff going on in here. A lot of. Uh, um, Batwoman stuff going on here. Very, very good issue there. Uh, Flash number 40. Um, oh, I just got done talking about all these timelines and this and that and characters and multiple versions of everybody. Um, all right, where to begin on here? Uh, the last time, because we had an annual and then before the annual is issue number 39. So both tie in with each other, but this is more so directly picking up with issue 39 while the annual was more mostly the original Wally West-centric story um, that you'll see tie into this one here. But this picks up from 39, in which um, Gorilla Grodd has showed up and uh, basically, you know, doing what Gorilla Grodd does and needing, to, needing something and taking over. But he's looking for the Speed Force. He needs the Speed Force to live. So he's come to uh, this and he's asking for the aid of Barry Allen, the Flash, in order to, uh, you know, he's got a bunch of, you know, ulterior motives and, you know, blackmailing and all this kind of stuff, like, that he wants Barry to do for him to uh, basically end up helping him. Um, there's so many characters through the rebirth of the Flash 
where you have um, Mina, who is working with this black hole group, who is, uh, they recreated the speed force and created other speedsters, and she got the speed force, but is using it for evil, and she's got, like, the dark speed force, and, you know, like, Barry had some of that, but then it got sucked out of him, and there's... Whenever I try to talk about Flash, it's one of the most difficult things. Like, And mind you, I, most of my stuff comes from the television show. I got on since Rebirth number one. Um, but anytime I try to explain this, I have an easier time talking about Wolverine and, than I do. And it, that is actually one comparison you know, that I'd make uh, to the, the show versus the, the comic is um, lately, you know, really over the last year or two, I think, um, the Flash has had a lot of uh, these speed uh, villains, yeah, yeah. Much, much like the, the show has had like all these, uh, um, the, the main an antagonist of, the, of each season has had like, has been a speedster. And he, in this book, he's even had uh, uh, people that were created from this new speed force that he trained and that was an, one of the first story arcs as well. So, yeah, a lot of speed going around. They're all doing speed. <laughs> They're all doing speed. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that's kind of what's going on there. I really can't dip into much more, but it has, you know, deals with stuff from the original Wally West annual that was uh, the recent issue that came out. And then numerically the issue number 39 it's picking up right from there so it brings those two last issues together into this and and i can't really talk about anything more but each issue is just action-packed for flash i would say much more than all the other dc books that i've been following when it comes to detective and uh i forgot to mention wonder woman earlier uh which is on the pile here flash is the most consistently fast-paced book um but it's so much action there's never been a dull issue where it's just like oh this is just the talking issue there's just always stuff going on and it's been a solid book so um because joshua williamson has been one of those names that i've been looking for keeping an eye out when i see his name pop up he's got something creator owned that's showing up in the next month or two that i saw it might even be in the current book or the previews prior but yeah so he's one of those characters and same goes for Detective Comics with uh, James Tinney in the fourth, where he was the one that Eugenic, he did that three-part Eugenic um, boom comic that I talked about not too long ago either. So these, uh, these Rebirth writers, I'm very writer-based, they've uh, proved themselves in these books that I haven't uh, much followed in the decades, and now I'm going out, branching out to their creative work as well, so... Jumping over to one of the independent comics, which is from uh, Boom, or their Kaboom uh, little imprint there. Um, Rocco's Modern Life, uh, this is number three. Um, I talked about this for number one, just saying yeah, fan of the cartoon, the 90s cartoon from Nickelodeon. Uh, this is continuing to capture that same vibe. You hear all the voices, the art looks great, just like the television show. It's creating, you know, you know, it's the title is Rocco's Modern Life, and even though the show has ended, where the uh, time kept moving on, and he's still living, this is his modern life yet. So it lives up to the title. Um, it doesn't take place, you know, back where the show left off or anything like that. So, um, but yeah, it's a continuously good book, and they've been. Uh, I assume I haven't picked up the Rugrats book, but 
I assume that they would uh, be doing similar things as based on the art and the publisher that they're getting people that are fan of the shows uh, now getting to write stories for the show that has, you know, been long since it's been in uh, animation. But yeah, it's another uh, good one there. And this one's dealing with uh, the idea that his neighbor, uh, Mr. Big Head, uh, the frog, uh, frog neighbor, uh, his wife had left him. And Rocco decides, you know what, we need a boys' night out. So Rocco calls up the other guys and uh, Heifer and uh, Filbert, and they get everybody together to try to cheer up Mr. Big Head and uh, get him to forget about his wife, and they try to get him into the dating scene again. And it's dealing with, like, dating sites and apps and everything. So it's fun, you know. Like I said, it's it's stupid to have to reiterate this, but it's <laughs> it's Rocco's modern life literally still in the modern modern world so because it's easy to see the the 90s nostalgia coming in from movie sequels and televisions shows coming back and toys and retro this and logos and shirts to think oh they're just telling more Rocco's modern life from the 90s no it's Rocco right here and that's the problem with calling it Rocco's Modern Life is the old show. You know, if you went back and watched it now, it's <laughs> not so probably modern. not very modern. Yeah, yeah. Um, we have Wonder Woman number 40. I talked about the beginning of this arc with uh, the DC Rebirth uh, new origin for that, uh, what, Silver Swan? Is that the, the yeah. swan? Uh, they just always call her the swan in here, so I'm trying to remember. Silver Swan. Oh, is it just the swan in there? Yeah, it's, uh, it's an older character, a Silver Swan. So yeah, we, we saw the origin uh, a couple issues back, maybe 37 or 38, I think 38 it was, where we saw this uh, young girl who uh, looked up to Diana. Diana saved her um, uh, years ago and came to visit her in the hospital, but eventually Wonder Woman had to you know, go save a bunch of more people, and she eventually stopped showing up, and uh, the little girl... Uh, I want to say Cassandra, even though I just said Cassandra for detective. Yeah, um, I don't know if that's right. They, um, they they say it a couple. Oh, Vanessa. That's what oh, it was. Okay, yeah. I knew it was like a something uh, like and a, it's not Kane. Yeah, know. yeah. Um, so uh, Vanessa turned into uh, she kind of healed. She was kind of bedridden. She had, I think, she had hurt her legs or like couldn't walk anymore. I'm trying to remember exactly what it was, but. Uh, she had turned into this villain, kind of brought back into Wonder Woman's life and wants to take her down because she thinks that, you know, Wonder Woman betrayed her in that sense of like, oh, she stopped showing up and she stopped caring and sees her on TV helping other people. And, you know, she took that personally in a time that, you know, she had lo- Vanessa had lost her mother and uh, was really hoping that, you know, Diana, her best friend, um, would be there for her. So the last couple issues has been dealing with that. And then we also have... Wonder Woman's long lost brother Jason, um, who's been in the story, yeah, uh, which is a, a recent uh, development in the comics as well. Yeah, so they've been dealing with their uh, brother sister relationship, and kind of even in this issue, kind of dealing like, what kind of powers does he have? Does he have similar powers? And you see some some of that uh, take form in here, but essentially, it's all this is a swan song conclusion. So this will wrap up this current arc of the. Uh, of that idea of uh, someone who Diana once saved, now turned supervillain, coming to kill her. So yeah, I've uh, I think by the end of this stack here, I'm going to be sounding like you. I'm starting to 
Yeah. A lot of, a lot yeah. of talking. Well, that's the problem with having two people here and only one of us having a voice is you're doing all the talking. But yeah, but so. you're you're offering a lot of good uh, questions and feedback and insight on some of these characters that you know a lot about too. And so you're... Yeah, as much as I can force out of my throat. Yeah. Um, and then as we teased at the beginning of this uh, issue of the podcast, um, you would ask, are there any books that you hate? Um, not necessarily because I wouldn't be reading them if I did, you know, like I only read books I like. There's some books I can say that I pre-order that, uh, I take a risk on because whether it be a new series or a new story arc or something, obviously I never know what the book's going to be like until I read it, but, you know, give it a couple issues. And if I'm not taking it after three, by that time in the previews, you know, there'll be a couple issues out before I pre-order issue four or so, um, so I'm able to kind of judge you know, on whether or not I want something. The only time that it gets tricky is when you order a weekly pre-order a weekly event. Um, something that intrigues you because, hey, by the time it actually shows up um, in your hands, you've already pre-ordered all the issues. And I like I like fulfilling the, the pre... Like there's nothing in the book I'm about to talk about that's like, this is trash, I don't want it, I don't want to buy it, put it on the shelf. I'm sure, you know, if there were a situation like that, I know you guys had said that in the past, you know, it's not, you know, you're, you're pretty lenient when it comes to, you know, if you end up falling off of something or if you Yeah, I mean, we, we can understand if you're, um, if you pre-ordered something and you've been reading it and it's just not working out for you, um, you know, we... We, we don't want people to make a regular habit of it, but, you know, we, we certainly understand if, you know, if you kind of were like, yeah, I pre-ordered this, but God, this is, I just really don't like this. I, I don't want it. And for someone who lives and breathes uh, by the previews, uh, something I'm excited to uh, flip through every month when they show up as great advice, you know, when you start feeling that, you know, all you got to say is like, you know what, I'm going to drop it from the title. I'll get whatever other issues are coming in if you want to just still, you know, seek it out for the rest of the arc or something. But you can always just cancel it for the pre-orders. That way you can kind of get ahead of the game. And I know it's been on a collectability side that, you know, if you're getting up to a certain point and it's hard to drop a title because you're like, well, then I'm going to be missing these issues if you later get back into it or something. Yeah, well, that's that's where I get with a couple of things that I'm reading is... Um, you know, I'm not, I'm just not sure about them. But then I get worried. Okay, well, what if I stop reading it and then all of a sudden in a couple issues yeah. it picks up and it's really good <laughs> and then I got to go back and buy them. So I, I have more of a tendency to stick with things. Of course, you know, I'm like everybody else. You know, I've got a budget. So, um, you know, sometimes there, there'll be something that I just have to make that decision that, you know, it's just really not working out for me. It's not something that I'm personally enjoying and I'd rather spend that on something else. And a great example of what I kind of set up there is that we just talked about the Deadpool book. There is about four issues of Deadpool that I didn't get in the last, uh, since 2012 for the last six years because they stopped doing the variant secret co cover variants for a little bit because they did this like, little Deadpool crossover with, I think it was with Spider-Man Deadpool or with another one of the million Deadpool books that are going miniseries and stuff. And it was a little like contained event. And I'm like, you know what? I'm bowing out for these couple. They didn't have, you know, secret cover variants and this and that. I don't want to get hoodwinked into a, 
into a crossover where I have to buy another series I wasn't getting, whatever. So uh, I, I bowed out and I just jumped back in and I, I've been living ever since. You know, I was over a year ago and I I feel good with it. So it yeah. is it is possible. Yeah, but of course, like you said, you know, it, it is hard sometimes when you've got uh, a series or some sort of event like Avengers right now, where every week you got it mm-hmm. coming out. So, um, so if you're jumping on board and you haven't pre-ordered, you know, you've got several issues that you got a hold on the rack or we're going to have to reorder for you or whatever. Or if you've been reading it and you decide that you're not really enjoying it, well, you've committed to, to buying all these issues every week, you know, and, and again, we're understanding if, you know, if, if that once in a while thing happens where you decide that you just don't want something that you pre-ordered. Um, in my case, uh, Avengers is something that, I knew I wanted to read. It's a club pick, um, so so I had pre-ordered it. Um, we we ordered so many. We filled the pre-orders. Uh, we had some for the rack, but what happened was it uh, all of a sudden was such a popular thing, and people were were buying it. You know, more people were buying it off the rack than what we had ordered, mm-hmm. and um, so I ended up. You know, it, it kind of worked out that we had like one too few so my issue of that for the last three weeks has gone to somebody <laughs> else and um, so i've had to reorder them i've i read your copy one week and i read somebody else's copy um unfortunately this week i didn't even have one everybody came in and picked their stuff up right away and there wasn't even one that i could borrow this week to read it so um but yeah i've, I've got mine re- reordered but because the the amount of people that buy that were buying it didn't put in their pre-orders, you know. And to any of those people, because um, in the current catalog, there's the next four in the installment. And I think there might be two lingering after that for the last catalog. Um, yeah, not too many, but I, I don't think it wraps up with the four. I don't know what the math comes out to, but there's still time to pre-order those last issues. That way they are reserved and extra ordered then too. So Yeah. And and I think uh, at at some point I'll be able to get mine unless other people are coming in picking up because we ended up upping the order yeah yeah and reordering a few but but yeah, yeah when it, it, it takes a little while to get caught up to that and when it comes to a weekly event that makes it a little more difficult on the ordering level because yeah you never know what's well when you put in a pre order two months ahead of time you know that's basically yeah ends up being like two months worth of of comics that we didn't have enough of because. We just didn't have enough on the rack to uh, to fill the need for all these people that just decided after it was out that, yeah, they wanted to jump on it. I've heard uh, some other stores, too, talking about, like, if you're not one that follows the previews, but if you like, hey, Avengers is on my title, you get all the Avengers, whether there's a one-shot, whatever, it kind of fits under that same vein of, like, you get anything Avengers-related. And if people, you know, maybe sometimes come to a comic shop once a month to get their month's worth of comics, if they're not the weekly Wednesday Warriors, as they call them. Um, Some didn't even know that it was turning into a 16 weekly event. And they come in and it's just like, whoa, I was expecting one Avengers book and now there's four of them sitting there. So it's uh, it's always interesting. And uh, yeah. But anyways, what we were setting up to, and before I dive into it... um, we're going to acknowledge that uh, one of the club members, uh, Katie, 
has just walked in. We're actually, yes, we are still, we got a late start on it. And oh, it's just wow. Anthony and I, so yeah, welcome hey. another voice. <laughs> welcome to the in. podcast. Yeah, now, we have, podcast now we have two voices. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, well, two hey, two voices, three people. <laughs> um, so yeah, what we've been doing here for the last hour and 20 minutes is that we're like, you know, we're going to suspend the club picks. Uh-huh. We're going to talk about both of the Avengers issues next week. Cool. And I had a stack of books that I read here at the store while waiting for sure. the club. So I just went through an entire non-spoiler, turned into some fun discussion and so facts. This, this has been the, what is Anthony reading? Pretty much. Okay. It's, yeah. I'll throw a couple out there. Yeah, that'll be good. So. Yeah. So, hey guys, uh, I thought I would be not coming today. I bought a car, happy to say. Oh, hey. So, hey podcast people, thanks for waiting. Wait, uh, did you buy a car here? Like a Matchbox, like Justice League car or something? Oh, maybe I should. No, I, I bought no. a full-size car. They, mm. they didn't have the Fantastic car or um, Wonder Woman's Invisible car. Batmobile or something. I know, right? Like, I was, you know, prepared to maybe talk with them about the different MSRPs on that and what kind of APRs they could arrange. But, so, uh, comic books that I have been reading this week. Um, So, I had ordered through the store uh, Walter Simonson's Thor, Volume 2. I read it all almost in one shot. It was a bunch of fun. Um, We got classic characters, um, Beta Ray Bills in there. Uh, we have some dealings with Malekith and the Dark Elves. And then the big kind of centerpiece of this was uh, a multi-issue battle with Scourge, who is mm. waging war on Asgard with Odin, and he has sent his minions to New York City to take dominion over Earth. And all the hosts of Asgard and uh, Mr. Fantastic and uh, Johnny Storm and some of the Avengers have to come in and uh, help out. Oh my goodness. Everything you want from comics. It was high adventure, keeping up in suspense. Um, just what decade was that? Was that? Are we talking 80s stuff or is that more recent yet? Um, I want to say Like Walter 60s, Simonson. Okay, so even older yet. Okay. No, that doesn't seem right. Because Stan and Jack would have done, you know, yeah. 60s. We're in the yeah. mid-300s. So like this book starts, I think, at issue 346 and then goes through like... Uh, 355. Did I just hear Walter Simonson? So I'm thinking, like, are we talking 70s, 80s? Well, like, unless, let me check. I don't um, know. Because I had thought 80s, but then the book said, no, these are from the 60s. So I'm like, well, that's an interesting question. Or did they yeah, take when it, when it came in looking at it, I thought it was newer than that. Yeah. I mean, it's clearly older. You can tell yeah. by the art yeah. style and, and everything else. But yeah. Um, yeah, hearing that it's that old is a little surprising. Yeah, and, 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 so we're gonna fact and it check certainly this. might be, um, but yeah, I would have guessed it was more like 80s we'll take a or look. so, but that really would have just been a guess. No, you are right, so I don't know where I was getting that numbering from, um, so it's, uh, he was doing it from 1983 to 1987. Okay. So you guys are right, I'm, I don't know where I came up with that decade, but yeah, it does look very kind of classic art to it, I mean, just action like every single issue something big was happening uh loki comes back in a little bit at the end which is interesting he kind of had a a more nefarious role in volume one lorelei is in there so she's Mm. the femme fatale and she sort of ends up being a good guy at the end but we'll see in volume three because that sets up thor's battle with hella so yeah it was good pretty much getting all the classic stuff written into one totally no good um, anything else to share before we... Mm-hmm. I have one more on the non-spoilers and then Probably we'll see if there's it. any news or anything. Yeah. But, um, so, and staying true to what I said at the top of the show, that the last book I was going to talk about on the bottom of the pile there, 
So David had asked me, are there any books that I hate? I'm like, no, there's not because I don't read books I hate. Mm -hmm. There's maybe some that I fall off of. I'm not, you know, vibing with them and then I'll just, you know, stop getting them. And with this one, I don't hate it. I just don't understand what the heck is going on. The art's great and everything like that. But I'm talking about the weekly DC Young Animal crossover event titled yeah. Milk Wars. Now, being a dairy manager for a grocery store for 20 years and me just loving milk in general, unrelated to being a dairy manager, um, I'm like, well, I'm going to pick this up just for the title alone. And strangely enough, it does have some weird like milk um, like ties. This... This has taken the DC comic superheroes, your Batman, your Superman, your Wonder Woman, your all the characters you know, and tying it in with DC's Young Animal line, which is uh, headed by Gerard Way, who is the what lead singer of My Chemical Romance. He's created this line of comics. He's had up some Umbrella Academy, which has just been picked up as a like a television show. So like, dude's been doing a lot of comics, whereas he's mostly known for his music. Uh, very successful line with all the different stuff like your Shade the Changing Girl, your Doom Patrol, your, your uh, you know, no, just because Cave Carson has a cybernetic eye. Yeah, or did. He's got like a, some other kind of eye or something though, doesn't he? Yeah, well there's, so it's all these. Yeah, intergalactic eye or There's something. a lot of psychedelicness. I dipped into a little bit of Doom, Doom Patrol, more of the Shade the Changing Girl. Very psychedelic book. I this is one of those where I'm like I read a lot of stuff and my this might read better as a chunk rather than like month to month when I'm also balancing everything else else out. So I kind of dropped off of some of those, but I saw this little crossover. It's something interesting. The three different covers so far have been pretty cool because it takes um, an alternate version of our Batman, Superman, and now this issue three, part three, if you will is this Wonder Woman, and she's just sitting here, and it kind of has like a classic housewife type of look, and she's holding a glass of milk, and this book deals with a lot of just weirdness where these DC characters are like trapped in this identity, and they're trying to break free, and these young animal characters are there, and like like I said, there's people that are probably loving and understanding this much, much more than me, much smarter than me. I don't know what the heck is going on. I've been listening to a lot of podcast reviews and just hearing other people trying to dissect it. And some people don't know what, you know, others don't know what's going on. Others do. And, um, art's been gorgeous, but, uh, it is answers that question of like, are there comics you hate? No, but there are comics that I appreciate and read, but don't understand to a certain level. And uh, maybe when it's all together, it'll make sense. Of course, there's a Swamp Thing tie-in coming up soon. So I was going to end up buying that one anyways. I'm like, well, I might as well get all the parts because it's what I do. But uh, all the covers are cool. I'm appreciating all the art and everything done with it. But uh, maybe when it's all said and done and I kind of read, oh, you know, what people explaining it, much more qualified people explaining it, I'll probably, you know, revisit it as a chunk and be like, oh, okay, that makes sense. But it's a lot of deep-rooted storytelling that on a whole different level that that uh some are probably loving and the others are just like what's happening so yeah that that just shows you that at the bottom of my you know 25 books to read that sometimes there's some that yeah that's, left that's confused a, actually with. a problem that we've had with uh with dc in general uh not with ongoing titles um but with some of the crossovers and the event stuff um, some of them have been a little bit uh, on the confusing side. Yeah, yeah. 
So um, that's, that's something that we've noticed um, for as long as we've been doing the club, uh, we, where we've run into that. And it, it seems like just something about the, the way that DC has, has done some of them, um, that, that it's kind of had that problem. Their solo series have been great, as I just talked about, almost all of them that I've been getting. And But yeah, when it came to those events, uh, Doomsday Clock, out of everything that's event-related, has been the one that I've been really loving. Yeah, Doomsday Clock seems okay. It doesn't seem hard to, to follow. Um, I think even if you hadn't read Watchmen, uh, I think you can, you know, you, you might have a couple of questions about some things, but um, but... For the most part, I think you could keep up with uh, Doomsday Clock without a problem. So uh, I guess that would be an exception. Yeah. So yeah, those are just some of the ones I had with me. There was another like 15 or so that I read prior to today, so I didn't have them with me, but uh, they were great. Um, any other last Yeah, I just want to amend. Um, I think I said that there was a battle with Scourge in this volume Mm. four. He's in there. The big battle is actually with Surtur. So Scourge fans, sorry, maybe (laughs) come again for volume three. Still. So if Scourge fans were listening, as you know, they're on the computer or something, and like ordering up, and then Elson, yeah. But he is in there. Yeah, he's in there. there. Appearance wise, yeah. Yeah, he he shows up once or twice. Good, good. Um, Anything news related? We'll cut to the segment if you if you have anything to to bring to light. Um, well, I, I did have those couple X Men related things. So we'll cut to the news. How about that? Let's go to our news correspondent, pre recorded voice, the man who had a voice. Yeah. And now the news. <laughs> and now the news. Oh, that's pretty good. That was more sinister from we have. That was like some things. no, that was like some Kevin Conroy animated series Batman. <laughs> I I felt it. That was yeah. good. You should set Alfred in there and then uh, close my in eyes. In the world. <laughs> oh, I still have to hit pause. And now, the news. Alright, so, um, little little bit of news that just came out yesterday. Um, Which would be Friday, uh, yeah, February Friday, 16th, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. Um, well, uh, I, I guess all the news that I have is really X-Men related. First up, uh, Marvel has uh, announced that um, besides doing the Colossus Kitty Pride wedding in June, in uh, issue... 30, which, which, which we were confused yeah. about, um, about because the numbering. the numbering, you'd think, we were thinking like 25, mm-hmm. which seems like it would match up pretty good with the, the numbering yeah. monthly, but somehow in June we will have 30, so I don't know if it's going to twice a month at some point in there, how we're getting up to 30. Well, see, that one is twice a month, though. Mm-hmm. Did we take that into fact? Yeah, yeah, that's got, that's got to be it. So maybe. Yeah. So they're getting up to 30, which um, I, I'm... Wondering maybe the reason that they're doing X-Men Gold number 30 is the wedding is because X-Men 30 was the wedding issue for uh, Scott Summers and Jean Grey. Oh, okay. So maybe they're just sticking with the 30th mm-hmm. issue thing. Uh, but, uh, but a full month before we get to the wedding issue, we will have um, X-Men... Wedding special number one. Like a rehearsal, if you will. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. So I'm not sure exactly 
what we're going to see in this wedding special. Sounds like it's going to be a few stories. The big news with it is that, um, you know, uh, Chris Claremont is actually returning to write a, uh, I don't know if you'd call it a backup story in it, because I think the, the, the whole special is probably, it's probably going to be like one of those annuals where you get like a few different stories in yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but Chris Claremont is going to be writing a, uh, a Kitty Pride story Ooh, in the special. Chris Claremont is one of the co-creators of Kitty Pride. He's one of the guys that kind of re rebreathed the life into the X-Men after Stanley and Jack Kirby. And it's whenever you talk about legendary X-Men, you don't talk about Stanley and Jack Kirby. You talk about Chris Claremont's run for the most part. Right, because um, what did he do, like 17 consecutive years or something like that? Wow. Yeah, and it's just like, you know, it, Claremont, whenever you see that name pop up for... Uh, for comics, it's always just like, yep, he's the one that did a lot for X-Men, more than even the creators, you could say. So Yeah, um, he, he did really all the uh, the classic major storylines, um, was, was like all Claremont stuff. Um, him and I from oh, the con. Sweet. Nice. So, uh, That's a really nice book, too. So the other writers on uh, the wedding special will be uh, Kelly Thompson. Oh, awesome. That'll be cool. And... Mark Guggenheim. Guggenheim? Guggenheim. It's double G, so you think it's Guggenheim. Yeah. I don't know. That pronunciation, whatever. Um, so yeah, so they got the writing duties on there. And it uh, sounds like it's going to be, you know, like a, a couple of stories in, in there. Um, I would assume it's leading up to the wedding, mm -hmm. being that the wedding yeah. itself is happening a month later. It would be cool to see, like, if Claremont does something where it's like, like a lost story or something like that if he kind of goes back i could see them if they're doing a special rather than like current stuff but yeah maybe they're dipping into like you know here's a style like of a issue we never seen yeah my, my initial reaction when i saw this um the the first place that i saw the uh the story um it didn't have a lot of details on it so my understanding was that the wedding had been bumped up a month and it was now going to happen in the, the wedding special. And I have to order that cake but, a lot uh, sooner. Yeah. Right. But, you know, I did a little bit more research on it and looked at a couple other places that had stories on it and, you know, found, found the rest of it, which is that this is a companion one-shot to to the wedding. So they can get an extra nine ninety nine or whatever they'll put on the price. Yeah. Do we have a page I, count? I... Yeah, that I don't know yet. I did see that it was oversized. I was gonna say it's gonna be but, at least four ninety nine, if not. Whether you yeah. know what oversized means, I don't know. I didn't say double size or even giant size. It just said oversized. <laughs> um, It'll probably be four ninety nine. So. And with three different writers, you figure you're getting at least you know three stories in there, but they could be three five page stories. I, you know, I don't know. Maybe it's uh, undersized. Huh. No, what what I what was put out there though is that it will be an oversized. Uh, one shot, um, but but yeah, how how the story will, you know, how it goes with uh, X Men Gold Number Thirty that I don't know at this point. Um, but yeah, the the big news there is probably Chris Claremont's return because um, yeah. one of the weird things is Chris Claremont I don't think has really done a lot lately, um, but Marvel actually keeps him on retainer. Oh, sweet. And um, I guess the story is that they actually pay him enough to keep him on a retainer 
to you know to, <laughs> to keep him that's cool from going over and doing work for DC or whatever. So even though he's not doing anything, he's still being paid. That's cool. It's just like that, and I'm not a sports guy, but like an expensive like pitcher or something that you yeah. keep for the last part of the game or something. No, know. you're onto that. Yeah, something like that. Mm-hmm. All right. So, um, the other X Men news is um, if you listen last week or if you were here last week and we talked about X Men Red Number One. Yes. Um, one of the issues that I had with X Men Red Number One was that it came right at the tail of uh, Phoenix Resurrection and yet it doesn't pick up right after so it kind of leaves some questions you know like how she got from you know this point to that point and um, so it's also just been announced uh, I read this in an interview with Tom Taylor who uh, is one of the, the creative team on X-Men Red um, who says uh, first of all I'm happy to announce here that we are doing an important oversized annual, uh, well, they're doing oversized too, so, um, important oversized annual for May. Um, it's a story set immediately after Phoenix Resurrection and before X-Men Red. Huh. Um, well, X-Men Red number one, I would guess, because it is part of X-Men Red. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it covers the moments I think a lot of fans, including myself, wanted to see. Jean reuniting with friends and people she loves, as well as meeting others who will be important in her life for the first time. So the direct thing that you wish we would have seen is going to be coming out in later months. So, yes. uh, Clearly, Marvel listened to our podcast, heard our complaints, and is putting out an annual to uh, cover that gap. Thanks, Marvel. If they're still listening, uh, have R.L. Stein go back on for another uh, Man-Thing run, please. Thank you. Good, good. All right, well, um, yeah, I don't think there's anything else to really talk about the news. Did our uh, roundtable, so to speak, for our non-spoilers. So next week on issue 16 of the podcast, we will do spoilers for Avengers 680 and 681, um, assuming more uh, members will be able to make it. And uh, I'm not sure what else is coming out, but, uh, oh, we'll probably talk about the Dark Knights, The Wild Hunt, me and uh, Kurt's dad talked about a little bit off air before he had to leave, um, but he'll uh, we'll force him to bring that issue because we know how much he loves talking about and, it. And also because it's a, a, a metal tie-in. It's like the we're penultimate. Going need, we're going to need that information yeah. from him because uh, one thing that we found with metal is if you're not reading the tie-ins, you're not reading it. Yeah, and I think that's the penultimate... Uh, story, uh, including tie-ins and whatever, before issue six of Metal wraps up. So yeah, um, that should do it for this issue. I'm Anthony. I'm David. And I'm Katie. To be continued. Thanks for listening. The Crimson Cowl Comic Club is recorded live from Crimson Cowl Comics and Collectibles at 1749 Barton Avenue, West Bend, Wisconsin. For more information, visit us online at www.crimsoncowl.com.